Welcome to another UCTV.TV podcast presented by University of California Television. So good afternoon. You guys know how this goes. You've been here before. Silence doesn't cut it. Good afternoon. Thank you. I'm Giovanni Singleton, Lunch Poems Coordinator. Thank you all for being here today. Um, First, I'd like to invite you all to sign up on our mailing list, which is over at the librarian's desk. Um, And also, um, be sure to log on to Facebook, become our friend. Um, And if you've missed an event, all of our previous events are... um, are online at lunchpoems.berkeley.edu, also um, available through our YouTube channel, which is really cool. Um, so I, um, I also want to let you know that our sister program is also having their annual student reading uh, here at the Morrison Room at 6 p.m. today. So if you're fictionally inclined, please do come back. Okay. Um, Also, uh, Lunch Poems um, is seeking motivated students to join our uh, publicity team for the upcoming year, 2012-2013. Some duties include monthly posting of flyers um, and helping with programs set up and breakdown. And some of the perks is that you occasionally get to go to lunch with one of the writers. Way cool. Um, And also there's an opportunity to participate in the annual student reading, which we hold every spring and in which you are um, attending today. So some of our volunteers will be on the program uh, today as well. And also you gain great experience um, and resume building in literary arts administration and event production. So do not miss this opportunity. Uh, You can see me at the end for flyers. Um, and additional information. Also, I want to remind everyone to please turn off your cell phones. We have these brilliant uh, student readers today, and we don't want anything to distract them. Okay. And so today's program is one of the year's most lively events. Um, The student reading today includes winners of the following prizes, Academy of American Poets, The Cook, the Rosenberg, and the Yang, as well as students nominated by Berkeley's creative writing faculty, uh, lunch poems volunteers, and representatives from student publications. Um, and now it is my great opportunity to introduce... No, uh, no not yet. <laughs> what? What do, what do you... This week, we have a press release from the Commonwealth Club of California... The California Book Awards were made this year, and I'm going to run right down to the principal one, Gold Medal for Poetry, Giovanni Singleton for Ascension. Thank you. Does anyone know who that guy is? (laughs) Thank you, Dave. Um, So, back to where I was. Um, Here to introduce this afternoon's readers is poet, essayist, and professor C.S. Giscom, who joined the English department five years ago. His most recent book, Prairie Star, won the 2008 American Book Award and is about the breakdown of location and voice. Please welcome Professor C.S. Giscom. 
thank you, thank you all for coming out, and thank you, thank you, Miss Singleton. You didn't tell me you'd won the Commonwealth Prize. <laughs> oh, that's that's just the bee's knees. <laughs> and it's it's my honor again this year to introduce introduce poets. Some of some of you I know from class. Some of you I know from from elsewhere. I'll start. We're alphabetical. Noor El Samarahi has come to Berkeley from Los Angeles by way of Mesopotamian roots. She began writing poetry at the age of five. In addition to writing, she has also taught poetry to elementary school students in South Central and currently runs poetry writing workshops on, on campus through uh, uh, CALS Cal Slam. Uh, she is also she was also the star of my of my play. Uh, she played Marcella in a play called Loop Guru last uh, uh, last January. Please welcome Noor Al Samarahi. Um, so this poem is my attempt to explain why I'm an incorrigible eavesdropper. I'm too nervous to speak to you. Afraid my voice will ramble like a m m motorcyclist with an unstoppable heart into your ears until you clap your hands over them and begin slowly to dance your way away from me. I swear I'm not in love with you, but I would like to sit next to you in an airplane. Both of us in window seats, flying over Yosemite, watching the falls start off as water before they turn into snow. If I can't go there, can I at least ask you what it's like? What color the water? What flavor the snow? Was the rest of the world green? Or did it flake gray and brittle as broken bone all over the mountainside? I hope it was green. Like I imagine it being like the leaf in your voice as you spoke of the world from so high up. I didn't see your face, only the curve of your hand over the seat of your bicycle in a kaleidoscope of autumnal afternoon light, golden and breezy and somehow solid like the houses on the street I live on with their rain-spattered shingles and worn wooden siding. I want to be brave enough to turn to strangers and ask, may I know you? I want to be frank with you about how very much I adore your soul. I want us all to share our birthmarks. Here's mine. A red heart on my neck, more permanent than a sleeve. Where's yours? Brown and big as Texas on the left curve of your forehead where a 10-gallon hat could cover it up and hers on her fingertip like a raspberry lit there. I want to be a server in a dim-lit restaurant, so I can linger nearby with a water pitcher and listen for the birds in your voice, the 30 species of warblers who sing in the town you want to live in. I want us all to stay up late on a Friday night learning the tuba. I want a fingertip preserved in a gold tooth. I want to catch a big fish with a fresh twig and a broke boot lace, and I want to forget my name, the unpronounceability of it, the foreign of it. I want to forget my name, and learn to pronounce words that live here, words that are real, so maybe when I speak, I can be understood. Do you understand me? My parents come from a country with no warblers. My parents come from a country of kukuhti, and lullaby is made of grief. I didn't know how to say the word sponge until I was nine years old. Until then, my mouth could only form the word svenje. Svenje, tiftahim, arid, and ense ismi. I want to forget my name. I want to forget what it means to be different from you. And sometimes, when listening to others, I do.
Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Ms. Al-Samarahi. Wesley Anderson, third-year student from Puget Sound, double major in English and history with an emphasis on the early United States. And he's the editor-in-chief of To an Unknown God, a journal of Christian thought at Berkeley. Wesley Anderson. Church and man. Entombed under glass at Urumqi, he could be asleep, longer than Enchanted Beauties or Rip Van Winkle, with only three days' stubble to show for his 3,000-year-long rest. Or, if not a fairy story, then a jester, clothed in outrageous harlequin tartan-colored leggings, alternating luck, joy, heaven. But perhaps he is too dignified in his serene repose, crowned with burgundy wine hair to match his open robes and he could be called sovereign king in recumbent effigy and set out among the ancient Frankish monarchs in the crypts of Saint-Denis, alongside each cadaver immortalized in a macabre transi, where he would hardly seem a pretender to their thrones. No different with his sculpted cheekbones, aquiline nose, marble skin. A Caucasian somehow called a Chinese man and appropriated for the sake of competing claims of national pride ethnic separation, post-colonial shame. But how could he be any of these things? If he were to wake, he would find himself in the wrong place without having moved, an immigrant lost in his native land who looks different, speaks different, sick with confusion in the face of the pitiless interrogation. Ni shishe, ni I'm sorry, I don't understand. How could he choose between his home and his home, between the one that he belongs to and the one that he is? Inside cold glass, he hugs himself tightly, as if afraid that something might part from him, his life, or perhaps his coat. Thank you, Mr. Anderson. Lauren Villard transferred to Berkeley three years ago, and she's been teaching with poetry for the people. She's interested in fiction, fiction that combines historical accuracy with magical realism. Lauren Villard. Uh, This poem is an abridged version of a found poem composed of 19th century periodical writings about the novel Charlotte Temple and writings recorded in the books themselves. Miss Anna Maria Heston, her book. Sally Titus, her book. Mary, Betsy Sweet, Sarah Monroe. Mrs. Rosen, by her genius, unaffected, forcible eloquence, simplicity of style, romantic, extraordinary, simple, pathetic, most touching story ever told, made poor, unfortunate Charlotte a household word before we were born. What was the real name of Charlotte Temple, the story by Mrs. Rosen? Is it true? Charlotte Temple was really Charlotte Stanley, buried in Trinity Churchyard, the stone once embellished with a silver plate, tempted the cupidity of certain vandals. On a dark night, two men with hammer and chisels stealthily crept. The name Charlotte Temple was cut by some good Samaritan, 
by some good heart, by a bored stonecutter. There is a class of humanity fond of reading Charlotte Temple, who dote on a love of a bonnet, incense themselves with heart-shorn and trifles, had a hold on the pun upon the public mind, begot a sickly sentimentality more widely circulated among the lower classes. Few are the eyes that have not wept. How well I remember all our weeping together. John Howard, sturdy and resolute, would hardly have shed tears over Charlotte Temple. Happening upon the ledger in a certain circulating library, we lost our reputation with Miss, all primness and propriety, her account, false step, Charlotte Temple, tales of passion, Mrs. Trollope. All the literary treasures of the family, a Bible, a hymn book, Pope's essays, Charlotte Temple. Many a time did I steal up to this nest of a room, glide off into an enchanted realm, no lessons to get, no boys to smash my knife. Baron Trenk, Jack Shepherd, Don Quixote, Charlotte Temple, I fed upon like a bookworm. Adored friends, must I go and must we part? The fang rends in twain my heart. The rose will fade, the tulip withers, who will keep me in death? Miss Mary Eliza Weehams, her book. Sarah Ewell, her book. Harriet, Eliza Little, Jane Drake, Charlotte. Our mothers read it and wept over it. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren Ballard. Joseph Bush. Joseph Bush has been a long-time Lunch Poems volunteer. Please welcome Joseph Bush. Well, I didn't finish the poem I was intending to read for today, so I would like to revisit a poem from a few years ago to uh, take advantage of the taping that's being offered today. Uh, this started out as an environmental program, but local events uh, intruded, and it slipped its leash and took off without me. Uh, concrete, an elegy for Scott and Lacey Peterson and their nine-month fetus. And before I continue any farther, most people might remember some of the details of this story to which my poem alludes. Uh, I would remind people that Scott Peterson is just across the bay over in San Quentin right now. Uh, he could probably see us from a window if he has a window over there. And uh, a couple of weeks before the event, he had practiced pouring anchors. And then I believe it might have been on Christmas Eve morning before dawn, he rode out between, exactly between where he is now and where we are now and uh, rolled his pregnant wife into a very gray bay. And the only other thing I would need to say is to help you with one word, which is a slump, which is a measure of the moisture content in wet cement. Concrete. The concrete flows and flows it floods the world. It spills from inside us. How else to excuse it? It exudes from some organ deep in our gut. 
It gushes forth like vomit, and in the sun it cakes and dries. It forms the crust of the earth, swelling into all our corners, filling us to heaven. It is the gray overcast of the underworld, and we float above its angels, stirring the gray waters, thirsting and drinking dust reaping a harvest of rock and rust. The dawn shines on an aggregate of all the loves we've lost, a ready mix of lovers together in the trough is hacked and hoed and shovels up a six-inch sagging slump. We smear across all paradise, each flower, tree, or stump. Inside the warm and curing winds that lock our days in stone, the money beats like prayer flags. The heart, meanwhile, is bone. The road we pave to where we lie will always seem to miss us. The sun is set in wet cement. The dying light will kiss us. Thank you. What is it about murder that we like so much? <laughs> Darius Carrick has published, or excuse me, Darius Carrick has studied English and creative writing at Berkeley, but he's on his way out, as the notes say here, to God knows where. <laughs> he has been an incredibly serious and ridiculous person for a long time, and he will continue to develop these qualities abroad. He's also the possessor of the nicest student car I've ever ridden in. <laughs> Darius Carrick. Mr. Carrick. I no longer have that car, by the way. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> This poem's a sonnet called Don't Get Sentimental About Death. The apocalypse inside of an orange smells of our casual breath. The resin inside of the birdcage stinks with the tinge of the great narrative. We had the sin between the rhyme and the resin. Tomorrow and tomorrow, pinned to the picture frame like a box of dusty knickknacks, mementos stacked in a moving van. No one was to blame. We were leaving again to get a sense of what earth hedged in with the others and to homestead new stenches, science. We pinned shirts down in the box with bottles of the hard stuff. Come, all you mothers, inhale these fumes. They are your child's plea. Thank you. Thank you, Darius Carrick. Denny Gordon is a graduating English major, and she's the managing editor of the Berkeley Poetry Review. She won the Academy of American Poets Prize, and she placed second in the Ina Pulbrith Memorial Poetry Prize. She's currently finishing her honors thesis on the post-human body in Paradise Lost. And she's capable of taking form apart. Danny Gordon. is called Facebook. <laughs> is the burgeoning everything, bartering that self thing, 
something about pandering to the lowest common denominator and protests in tight pants. Somewhere in here, my dad dies, and having burned first, I spring up whole from a plane crash, Athena but thinner, to watch the damn thing in HD. At least, that's the story one wants to write. I'm too busy texting from the funeral, a foreclosure, some general remarks about it being a renter's market anyway. Having money being almost as bad as not having money, I lose five pounds, but my interest rate goes up. Poem, I'm tired of writing you. I keep telling you to juggle, but you just insist on putting your head in the lion's mouth. Thank you. Vanessa Ng, Jr., She's studying philosophy in English, and she's currently obsessed with Beckett and Rilke. She also spends time thinking about the nature of possible worlds and the paradoxes of time travel. Vanessa Ng. Sorry, I think some of you might have heard this before, but I'm going to read this poem called Dial Tone. I phoned the infinite from a dinghy washed up on the rocked shore. I was told it lurked behind its limit, asymptotically hidden like a beggar huddled below the overpass. I've heard your hold up at the finite inn, I'd planned to say. I've heard you're doing all right, if you're doing anything that is. I thought it might say, hold please, but its voice was a dial tone, and it beggared me. Andrew David King, a sophomore studying English and philosophy, and Mr. King also works for the Berkeley Poetry Review. He's been trying to put it on firm financial footing for a while now. Mr. Andrew David King. So um, I'm going to read two poems from a series, or two segments in a series that I'm working on that's uh, an experimental libretto-style series of persona poems um, about various workers in a uh, post-war society, or one that would like to think itself as such. Geometer. It's the barbed wire of the known and not the dusk looped around each miles-off trunk that binds our hands. We've come far enough to realize how little protest matters to right angles, that any door built squarely is one for closing. Space still necessary for coordinates, though innumerable points stave each from each, a genealogy founded by division. If Zeno had known, the infinite would have been ours by now. Us here, the river there, its parabola's railing curvature into the clay. We stand on the shore, the maybe infinite between us and those opposite, a line of men pegged down the grass. A defense has not yet been conceived, and the eye's wanton sphere is no good. They will make of us points, and our own laws will allow it. Taxidermist. 
Once a Swedish king requested his lion stuffed by a man who had never seen a lion. There were reports of rabbits manifesting from the hairs of old men, the dust of top hats. For this palette of decay, I trade what dignity the mortician keeps in jars blue as the slick backs of trout. A woman brings in a dog so starved I can offer her the bones or the hide, but not both. Ingredients for the sum that owned the parts. When the war started, work diminished. The tide let itself be slung by the moon in the manner of a man leaving his house for the last time. And I took up work in the room of dark, of dark altars where the body's last sacrifice is coerced. Tissue and tendon remark again and again their disclaimer. The siren of the stitch closing the chest takes it back. Thank you. Yosef Raz lives in Oakland and sometimes in Tel Aviv. Her poetry, prose, and translations have been published in Ziziva, Glimmer Train, in Tikkun, Lilith, Zeke, and Tri magazine. And her first book, In Exchange for a Homeland, was published by the Swan Scythe Press in 2004. Yosef Raz. Thanks. Uh, I'm going to read from a new uh, poem that I'm working on. Um, I'm just going to read some fragments from it. The poem is called Fantasy for the Shawl Women, and shawl is kind of like shawl. Um, It's a cult of ultra-Orthodox women in Jerusalem and sometimes in New York um, who veil and practice different kinds of austerities like fasts and vows of silence. So Fantasy for the Shawl Women. The women are the best divers. They stay underwater for a long time. Led by her daughter, can see in intense darkness. In the street, she is blind. Mouse storms of foam brought to the surface. They spit on me. They kicked me. Her blurred face brush her hair underneath many sunken ships. Their slippers struck and wounded. Cannot nurse her son for the course of the creature. The speed of the tide might as well lay down the crown. My enemies surrounded me, not even a bird or a cloud to make a shadow. Her saber turned suddenly red, crown to shoulder, queen to crown, drove it straight through. Where is the glory of a king's daughter? Her voice for your brothers, her vows for this saber. Breasts and bone. I will make you a bronze wall. I will make you a sesame milk drink of purity. The choir master saying, I will teach you your true voice, and her refusing. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Roz. Alex Taitigu, third year English major from Redlands, California. And he's been revising a manuscript about his experience working for the university police department, which he may or may not read uh, this afternoon. Uh, Mr. Tatiku. Hi. Um, So I'm going to read three short poems from a series that's uh, all derived from these different like operational policy and procedure manuals at the police department. So if it sounds, sounds a little stuffy or strange, just go with it. 
incident report. Any behavior that creates an environment is limited. Remarks concerning any statement or action considered by anyone provide social engagement. Direct requests shall be documented. Communities of habit will report the activity of statement. In the event that a community is arrested, immediately notify the coordinators. All details result in termination. <laughs> Witness report. Communities shall remain non-confrontational. Officers are prohibited from identifying verbally or physically for any reason. Every civilian responding to the scene of any in-progress crime, any capacity beyond normal action, should complete this statement. Shift notes. At the end, each should include unusual circumstances. Any others need not be overly formal. Their own unique superfluous language is being mentioned in a brief and final disposition. Any incident, if applicable, to indicate the particular police involved should be reflected as the weather, particularly rain, or if it was especially cold. Thank you. Brion Jane Thompson, graduating senior in the English department. She has enjoyed writing since she was six and has continued developing craft in June Jordan's Poetry for the People. She's going to be pursuing an MFA at Emerson in uh, the city of Boston in the fall. Ms. Thompson. So this is my African-American creation myth, Middle Passage to America. My mother got me suffocating under bodies, familiar, foreign, dead alive, trapped in heavy iron chafing red raw, metal moving slick over sweat shine, delicately quivering sun-forsaken skin. She did not cry out when pleasure or pain only wept, not enough space to wipe away tears, forcing heavy beaten grooves into her formerly dimpled face. Snot moving sticky hot, drying crusty cold beneath her nose, around her lips. She felt like she'd been gnawed on, digested, then ejected forcibly through the plaque-filled teeth of some brutal spirit. Though in reality, she'd been sucked in, shoved in, body after body after body, into the dark, gaping hole too small to satiate greed, the hell-boiling sadistic bridal chamber home to the wave-rocked conception of a people. I was born among tobacco and cotton. Dark-footed, dark-foot-printed fields of riches. Heat from the sun lay oppressive like bank- blankets quilted heavy in the air. Dragonflies practiced somersaults nervously. Mosquitoes fluttered over the river thirsting. The breeze lingered, hoping to be caught up in my first breath. The sound of my first screams forced through dark, musty slave shacks cracks sent joy rushing in raves through the plush, ripe plantation, hungry for the caress of my fingertips, soft dirt eager to mold my ever-growing footprints into mutual, willing possession, though I owned none of it. My mother's cries and labor were half-hearted. She was not determined to have me, but I came anyway, with brown skin, newly black, covered in red blood, newly black, My first words twisted awkward on my tongue. Foreign in my mother's ears, she spoke to me of a distant nectar, of a honey far too sweet for my bitter lips, of a cadence too subtle for the tune of my ears, of colors transparent to my eyes, of a touch intangible. Mama spoke to me of home, and yet somehow I was no longer from there.
Bryce Thornburg. Bryce Thornburg is a senior in the English and Linguistics departments. He is also currently an editor for the Berkeley Poetry Review, Bryce Thornburg. Good afternoon. Uh, printing these was impossible this morning, so I've got to rely on my phone here. Uh, these are uh, two poems from uh, a series that I'm working on. Uh, it's titled Visions. <clears throat> the sky's limit, you stray so beautifully. Failure's flashbulb, a dull knife, and the blood you're responsible for. But every light is green. Here, here's a hatchet. Strike us a chord. Learn us some melancholy to tear down the dying built into it. You find that you're pretty much just exchanging air. What an unfortunate preamble. The sky will turn its most ridiculous colors. A run of bad luck, some asshole with too much time on his hands let out. Wheeling around in the bushes, I could write you in a minute, I tell myself. I could sing you up from the floorboards. A row of houses at first, then nothing. Let's just say unbird, and to wade through cars, bags in hand, shopping undergone, purchase understood as necessary. The heat hazes, you stay the same, your mind changes, the stones underfoot are silent, speak clearly as if not beaten, net of birds flung at the sky, tell me something as if not gone. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Thornburg. Tenzin Selha, graduating senior in the English department with a minor in, inter- in interdisciplinary human rights. She's Tibetan-born, raised in India. Her life's motto is, if there is a way to overcome suffering, then there is no need to worry. If there is no way to overcome suffering, then there is no use in worrying. Ms. Kelsa. Good afternoon. This is a poem about a Tibetan growing up in India as a foreigner. Borrowed space. At my neighbor's house, I take a spot, sometimes the bed, the chair, or the floor, and watch my superhero spin and win in every episode. I spin with him and speak his word, but mine he does not know. I fall, I feel a sudden change. His name echoing through the wall, fragments bouncing back. Every day a new crush, every day a new story, a new space in in the one borrowed. My neighbor's house is packed with kids like me who talk about growing up. Boys in their tailored trousers talking about cricket, forming their own team, imitating the screen. And girls with their foreign dolls, With missing legs and broken eyes, I sit to watch Jesus, Shiva, and Sai Baba scroll the screen, commercials streaming through and through, my eyes, my heart, I feel anew, Buddha hanging on the wall, cobwebs streaming through. Thank you.
Megan Youngdahl is a film and English major. She currently facilitates a screenwriting workshop in the English department for the Chernin program. In addition to her own writing, she enjoys translating Swedish poetry, in particular the work of, uh, of Thomas Transtromer. Uh, Ms. Youngdahl. My writing is typically heavily influenced by um, film, and I wrote this poem at a time that I was obsessively watching Alejandra Jodorowsky. Um, this is probably the shortest poem you'll hear all day, so try not to take too long to enjoy it. <laughs> um, all right, Sleepwalker. A man carries a white mattress upon his back to the hilltop only to find a black mattress already there. Thank you. Samuel Garrett Zeitlin, first year PhD student studying political philosophy and the history of political thought. And his poems, translations, and criticism have appeared in Scrawl, Tower Magazine, and The Common Review. Mr. Zeitland. So uh, this, this poem is a free translation of Goethe's Freisen, uh, itself a translation of a poem by the late medieval Persian poet Hafez. Uh, it is a free translation because liberties were taken. The rhyme scheme was inverted, and the gender of Goethe's deities was inverted. Freisen. Lass mich nur auf meinem Zettel gelten, bleibt in euren Hüten, euren Zelten, und ich reite froh in aller Ferne, über meiner Mütze nur die Sterne. Er hat, er hat euch die Gestirne gesetzt als Leiter zu Land und See, damit ihr euch daran ergützt, stets blickend in die Höhe. Freed thought. Let me accept myself only in my saddle, stay in your huts, your tents, and I ride joyous all from afar, above my cap, only the stars. She legislated to you the constellations as conductors to land and lake. Therewith on them you delight, steady, glancing in the heights. Thank you. And the last reader, the cleanup hitter, is Kayla Krutz. She's a third-year comparative literature major in English, Latin, and German, and she's minoring in creative writing. And we'll finish up. We'll finish up off Deutsch. Sie ist ein Freundin von mir. Wir sprechen viel zusammen. Fräulein Krutz. Thank you, Shane. I'm going to read you a poem for that. Um, hi, I'm Kayla. Thank you for coming today. Um, I'm going to read two short poems. Uh, the first is called Elmwood Cafe. Nicole doesn't want me to avoid the grandiose. You can and should tackle these things. She advises I table the self while I dive, because you're not there, sweet. I'm sorry, but you aren't. 
It's October, and the windows are open, which is acting out of fear on this page. Do you see how I got there? Something rises in my throat. It starts to gel. I'll ask our waiter for a glass of water. Okay. And this, uh, this is a guzzle. Guzzle. And uh, it's called Stranger's Guzzle. And... Flats and sharps are mutually exclusive. This is not a choice. Patterns, not the hard part. The hard part is hand carving a choice. Eric met Chandra at the museum, the walls held up by frame. To badger her with the bitch of dispossession, this was his bad choice. Prosim begs the American in Prague, counting his notes. His market list splits into fruits and grains, translates across choice. Her roommate took Carol to the hospital for hearing a voice. Carol dumped Michael, claiming insanity. Where then was choice? Cinnamon, a 700-years-old pet name Pliny coined, Shocking how an aromatic beloved cons you into acts of choice. Susan takes her clothes off when she returns home. Nobody sees her and puts them on again to go out, foreclosing that choice. Can shows grammar embracing two fields, turning walls paramount to divine potential, like to prove it's the last choice. Thank you. And I thank you for coming. That's, that's it. I uh, want to thank the prize-winning Giovanni Singleton, uh, Bob Hass, of course, Joseph Bush, and Dave Dewar. And thank you for coming. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.